Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, your one-stop shop for peace and love on the airwaves, a safe space for people of color and our allies. Join us every week as we have real dialogue with people going through real life. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some. Welcome, welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue, and this is your host, Rebel Queen, and I have to say today we're doing something totally different. We're in a zen situation here. We've got our sage burning. (laughs) We've got the crystal laid out because we've set intention for today's show. Today's goal, we're talking about racism and whether or not it's a mental illness. When I first heard that, um, I was a little offended. No, I'm not going to say, I'm going to keep it real. I was offended. I was straight up offended because I felt as a person living with a mental health diagnosis, that was giving these people a whole road out, right? And then um, I came to an understanding uh, through through experiencing um, interactions with um, some white people that made me think differently, um, made me think very, very differently about it. So I want to introduce everybody in the studio today. I've got my special guest, Catherine Knight, sitting next to me. Say hello, Catherine. Hi. Thanks for having me, Ty. It's great to be here. Um, You just want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a, um, I feel like I need to say this, a cis white woman, um, (laughs) heterosexual, grew up here in Atlanta. Um, My family's originally from Mississippi. Um, I'm 51, and... I had, I'm a retired lawyer. Uh, Most of my grown-up years, adult years, were spent divorcing people. Um, I'm now an advocate in a different way because I experienced uh, what you might generically call nervous breakdowns, psychotic breaks, which led me to be identifying now as a psychiatrically disabled person. And that has brought me into a whole different world and different perspective on mental illness, um, and the experiences that get tied to that have made me a have-not in a lot of situations. And that's exactly why I invited you on the show, Mm -hmm. because of your experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think your experiences kind of shed light on some things Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, at least for me. Mm -hmm. And and I'm so grateful for your friendship. Next, we have Takesha Smith today. Excuse me, y'all. I am so sorry. This is that time of the year. Mm-hmm. We have Takesha Smith. Uh, she's been away for a little bit, but she is back today, and we're happy to have her. You want to say hello and share a little bit about yourself, Takesha, today? Yes. Hello. I'm Takesha Smith, and <clears throat> excuse me, like Ty, I'm a little bit under the weather. Uh-huh. The weather is impacting <laughs> me, so you have to excuse me. But um, <clears throat> I am a married 44-year-old African-American female. Um, I have three children of color. I have two males, one female, well, two sons, one daughter. And I'm married to a black man, to an African-American man. Um, I am an LCSW, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm also a, what we call a MATS, a medication assistant treatment specialist. Um, And I am a black woman who has encountered racism within the mental health system and within the corporation of the mental health system. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also am a person that 
uh, and I openly discuss and disclose that I am a person who, who lives with major depressive disorder. So I, I myself has to have a mental health disorder as well. And see, this is one of the reasons why Takesha uh, has this seat on this show with us, because she brings such a valuable perspective um, with your experiences and your Thank transparency you. mm -hmm. and your desire to do something in the community and oh, share yeah. and be open. So I'm so grateful for that. And next we have Ella Shea Farmer. Hello, everyone. I am Ella Shea Farmer. I'm a brand consultant and social media strategist. I have a passion for creative arts and trap music. And I, um, I've been helping people bridge the gap between creativity and entrepreneurship since 2010. I just went, um, started focusing more on myself um, within the past year. I was noticing that in the different arenas where any, any situation that's dominated by white supremacy, mm -hmm. I've encountered racism. Mm -hmm. um, as uh, I'm not a married woman, I'm a single African-American female, mother of one. And there's a certain level of expectation that comes with that. So when I show up and I'm not that person they expect, mm -hmm. I have problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not a statistic. You know, I, I mm -hmm. have two degrees. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been building myself since, you know, well, almost a decade. I'm not your stereotypical single black mother. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Thank you. And that's another reason, aside from just the fact that I value her perspective mm -hmm. so much, um, you know, I, she's um, she brings so much to this table. I think that's the goal here is I, I like to establish community and I like to establish a safe place uh, for us to have conversation. Um, and I think really in, in, in reality, there really is no stereotypical black women. I think it's that we've been stereotyped. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So it's important to me is to create these spaces for me. And I'm just going to get, because I, you know, I don't know, I know we get new listeners and everybody doesn't really understand what, uh, who I am and what is Rebel Queen. But Rebel Queen is my stage name. I'm a poet. My poetry came about. I started writing poetry when I was eight years old. Um, mm. And my, my first poems were about divorce and racism, mm. um, two things that were affecting my life at that time. Uh, my parents had, had told me they were getting a divorce. And as a child, I experienced uh, racism um, you know, uh, in, in, in ways that are so significant. I'm, at 48, I remember my first grade teacher uh, calling me the N-word. And I remember the vitriol that, mm. you know, so um, it's these are experiences that drive our lives, you know, because of those early experiences. I kind of, you know, I did I fell into a 25 year IT, IT career. And like like you, Catherine, like Catherine, I, mm. I had an emotional break mm. that changed my life uh, and, and wasn't able to work full time any longer and wasn't able to uh, work in that type of arena. Um, so I spent my life since then dedicating it to things that I'm really passionate about yeah. and whether it's activism or, or mental health advocacy um, those are the areas so you know I want to go back to the race the race is what impacts us and it drives us all when Catherine came into the the studio today one of the first uh, things that she did is she pulled out her bible and it's, it's her childhood bible and she showed me how she's looking at all these pictures and realizing everything is whitewashed mm-hmm and, you know, and so for me, what, what this has done for me is it's made me really present to the people that I know. 
you know, as an activist, as a, you know, I'm a black woman. I'm a Jamaican-American, African-American black woman. And I have experiences on both sides of my family with racism, um, you know, where we've lost family members and things of, of this mm-hmm. sort. Um, so for me, and I know for anybody that's known me, if you see me on social media going back and forth with trolls, um, <laughs> that was my lower dimension tie. <laughs> you know what? Okay. I mean, we all been there. I mean, I'm telling yeah. because we all so, go back. Sometimes. Yeah, and, we and all it's go so back. it's yeah. because it's frustrating and it's you know you know, but it's a it's a difficult thing. So you know, I'm not the type of person that's really gullible and just feel right. sorry for people, um, but it really. The thing that put me in the space of having this conversation was understanding how necessary it was. Oh, yeah. Those activities, when we understand what happens on the Internet, I could really, as I started going through my own spiritual growth, I could see arguing back and forth with white people to get them to change their, their opinion. That doesn't, arguing with anybody. No, no, it does not work. It doesn't work, right? You will not change somebody's <coughs> mind with facts or opinions, because lots of people identify this. This is an identity issue. You know, this is the core right. of who we are. And we're challenging people at the core of who they are. And Catherine helped me reconnect with that when I started working with her and started, you know, we started sharing experiences. So Catherine began to share with me. And I'd like That's for it. you to talk a little bit about that, you know, because that I've shared with Catherine how that it's for me, it's opened up a sense of trust again. Right. To be able, you know, I don't, and I'm going to stop talking in a second, and I'm just laying the stage so that we can understand where we're going with this. But, you know, I think that as children, we don't really see this. We don't deal with racism. And we have, there's a break, right? Society knows that there's a break by the time we hit, by like, middle school. Middle school. Is when we separate. And that was a very painful experience for me to lose some of the friends that I had in that in that space, to go into high school and realize, okay, and then by the time you get to college, it's very firmly embedded in you. You're different. You're in this place. And it's interwoven within our fabrics. Yep. It's interwoven with our fabrics. So Catherine and I started talking about some of her experiences, and um, she's been growing and learning, and you're reading something right now, Catherine? Yes. Okay, well, Ty, first of all, I'm really honored to be here, and, um, but I think I most want to say what a beginner I am in this process. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like taking up yoga. You know, mm-hmm. I can't stand on my head yet in, <laughs> in, in discussions around race. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think s- silence around race has such a complicit mm-hmm. element to it mm-hmm. that I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm willing to risk failure <clears throat> and microaggressions. And I ask that y'all call me out and give feedback if there's a moment when mm-hmm. I say something, because I have been going on air, so to speak, and, and committing microaggressions. And so I'm learning. Okay. But I'm open mm-hmm. because what I see... My experience, and I'll make it as personal as possible because I think that's where change begins. It is sure. always, you know, you you know, they, again, I'm terrible. My memory's terrible about I'm a middle-aged white woman. My memory's gone, you know, but there's this saying that, you know, you can't make change except by a few people, right? Okay. And it really does start <coughs> inside. So for me, when Ty and I met, we met through... Um, work around mental health and peers, looking at each other as peers with the experience of the mental health system. 
mm-hmm. and how in the mental health system there's so much stigma and I and mm-hmm. and otherness, othering, mm-hmm. othering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And to me, it was a kind of the white for the book about white frailty um, by Robin D'Angelo, which I just finished, um, is. It, it uses the analogy too of being a fish and denying the existence of water mm-hmm. my whole life, and then going what? Like suddenly I'm outside the bowl, the bubble, mm-hmm. and going well that was stupid. Like that's kind <laughs> of how racism feels, because once you step out, you just go wow. Well, shoot, you know mm-hmm. what was that? Because some of the most interesting experiences in my life are about being with people who are different than me mm-hmm. and that's where spiritual recovery comes so mental health to me is is a cry for the soul's journey a different cry mm-hmm. it's a change it's a transmutation time mm-hmm. um everybody i met in the psych wards and i've been involuntarily committed twice when i wandered into er's confused um Psychotic breaks and that sort of thing are often a spiritual journey and race. I think so. I think so. Realization, mm-hmm. coming to terms with whatever it means to have or not have mel- melanin mm-hmm. in your skin, you know, that in this society. And what I found is diversity, which had always been because I had a completely bubbled world. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's like a cult, I would say, stepping out of the cult. Mm-hmm. And going, oh my God, how deprived was I mm-hmm. not to have be building connections all my life deeply? I mean, I've had there's exceptions, right? There's always the white person, though I have a black friend. <laughs> but getting into and taking up and putting on your your gardening gloves and going out there and trying to grow relationships you know and and that authenticity i will say this one of the things that Catherine does for me as a friend that makes the safe the space safe is that she's not you know i think when we come talk about microaggressions mm-hmm. i want you to be aware there's microaggressions like you know like you said maybe mispronouncing someone's name mm-hmm. you know that's that could be intentional that could be unintentional i think most of the time it's unintentional i think the idea when white people do it to us is the idea that we're i you're not important enough. You're not present for me to, re- you know, yeah. it's not significance in me remembering your name. But on the other hand, there are microaggressions that are more egregious yeah. uh, and more intentional. And that's how there a lot of times the, the space, we see it all in the news about white women just feeling so self-righteous that you can stop at black people cooking barbecue, you know, anything, just being From black anywhere in public. Yeah. Right. You know, and there's this need to correct us. Um, yeah. And that where, that's where it gets to be challenging. Mm-hmm. And I know, mm-hmm. Takesha, you said you hadn't heard my story, so I'm going to share it. <laughs> yes. Um, because this is where I think these two th- kind of intersect in addition to things that you've shared with me. Um, I shared last week in the last week episode that I did recently, I did a brief stint in a mental hospital. I know. I think that's like a sign of social death in my community to say that out loud. But the reality is, is that I was experiencing symptoms of dissociation that in my estimation were dangerous because I was confused. I found that I had been cooking and I don't remember cooking. I burned myself. I don't remember experiencing any pain at all 
Mm-hmm. All I know is my only evidence that this happened was this burn mark on my arm. And I'm like, okay, that I need to, I really need to be some space because that to me, I think just in all logic in a situation like that, you need to be where if you're able to disconnect from your brain to that degree, you need to be somewhere where you're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was there, there was a patient I came across and he drove me crazy. This man was clearly <laughs> a Trump supporter. He was uh, turning on Fox News every single freaking day, all day. And there's nothing to do there but watch TV. Mm-hmm. And every time you turn on it, you go into the break room, he's got Fox News on talking about the immigrants coming to disrupt us here in America. And it was making me crazy. Um, I got to the point where I just get up and leave. You know, I said earlier, I've, I have no love. I'm, I'm that person that was always no love for racists. Um, he was over 70, at least 75 years old from Augusta, Georgia. I'm pretty sure he's been involved in some pretty um, heinous things uh, towards mm-hmm. people of color or is at least said or done. I mean, I think the likelihood is pretty slim. Um, but in any event, over the course of the next six days, as I observed him, um, his problem was he was there in relation to an issue, a family issue. Um, so they had him committed. Um, he made a phone call he wasn't supposed to make and said some really horrible things. And he sat down at the table um, in the morning time where we decompress and talk about why we're there. And he said how he deserved to be punished. And suddenly I watched this 75-year-old man who I was so sure that had done all these horrible things to people. I saw him reduced literally to a child as he broke down and talked about how he deserved to be punished. He deserved to be whipped. He deserved to be beaten. Um, We were, it was, my heart just broke into a million pieces because in that moment I didn't see a racist in front of me. You saw a person. You saw someone who was hurt. Yeah. Profoundly. As a child. I mean, literally, because, and I know, and I'm, this is, mm-hmm. you know, to see, um, you know, we talk about how people get into the spaces where they're traumatized. Right. We regress back to. It was like I could see him regress to yeah. this child age, and everyone's heart just broke. And then, um, at several nights, we had heard him screaming, and I didn't know what he was saying because he was on the other side, but his roommate told me that he was screaming, get off of me, let me go. No, he's screaming. This man was abused. Mm-hmm. And it, what, what materialized for me was this man carried so much hate inside of him because that's how he felt about himself. Mm-hmm. He, he was hurt. He was hurt mm-hmm. and he was abused. And then I went, it went forwarded to um, the discussion. There's a, a There was a series on a group of ex-white supremacists. Have, uh-huh. have you seen that? I haven't seen that. Um, they were, um, I think they had, you know, I guess after getting in trouble with the law, mm-hmm. after going through anger, mm-hmm. is what made them have to confront themselves. Mm-hmm. And they were saying the one thing that they found that these men had in common was they were abused. Mm-hmm. And it materialized to me because I realized, back to some of my experiences, mm-hmm. I, I've seen, I've seen, I had white friends that I separated from that we were separated forcibly. Right. I, so there's a whole experience where white people really, there are white, it's not just that all white people grow up and just become racist and benefit. There are some people that rebel against it. And if you rebel, 
there's a price to pay. Or you're outcasted. Yeah. You, right. They, yeah, they very made much. that very, very clear. And, and I mean, I'm not a white woman, so I don't know what that feels like to rebel against racism within my family, but I do know what that feels like to rebel against colorism within my family and the African-American community. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. It's a pathology to that. <clears throat> Same thing with abusers, same thing with pedophiles, you know, well, pedophilia is something a little bit different, but child molesters, people who have been abused and molested and hurt themselves tend to pass streamline that right along to someone else. So it is contagious. Um, I think it's important to understand to know what racism is and what mental illness is, what what racism was designed from, the root of racism, why race even exists is important. You know, that was created to systemically keep us apart um, and to, to, to fuel an us against them mentality. And it was only going to manifest into any and everything that we do mm-hmm. right into the mental health system mm-hmm. um, in corporate America mm-hmm. and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. So just to bring it full circle, I want people to just be aware of how your actions contribute to 20, 30 years down the road mm-hmm. and how they manifest into so many other dysfunctions yes. and, and behaviors. I think it's important to talk about that inner child because mm. yeah. a lot of us have not met our inner child. We don't even we know don't it know, exists. We don't know it exists. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much that child is hurting. Oh, big time. And we don't know how we project that hurt onto other people. And continue to do it. And we feed the, you know, there's an inner child that is the one that is vulnerable, the one that you saw in that fetal position. Mm-hmm. Then there's an inner child that's, um, and I don't like to say this as a child, but then there's this monster, this this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde mm-hmm. complex. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. keep that in mind as well. And whichever one you choose to feed is the one exactly. that will grow. Mm-hmm. That inner child conversation is core because, as you mm-hmm. stated earlier, um, you, I think, Keisha, you said. You don't know what it's like to rebel against, you know, racism in the family. But all of us know what it's like to rebel against the family. Oh, yeah. In don't some you way, dare. But you know, don't but you no, dare rebel against your listen, family. Listen, I want you all to listen to some mm-hmm. of the things Catherine has to say because, you know, it, it materialized for me things on a different level. level. Okay. So for them, and I keep talking about this, so y'all please forgive me because mm-hmm. I'm trying to be present too, whether or not um, now that, you know, my heart, I felt like the Grinch. And my heart just opened up to be about wide. But that's, but that's yeah. significant, though. Yeah. That transition is significant because a lot yeah. of us do not under, we don't see white people. We see them as opposition, not people. Right. They're not people to we us. Don't They're see racist. Them as people we label them any kind of way other than a hurt human being. Well, we do the same thing. We we do to them what's been done to us. Exactly. Right. So that's that projection again. It's the that, mirroring. That, that hurt. That mirroring that that you speak of. Right. But it it is you know as. As a, a black woman, I come from a diversified family. Mm-hmm. So there is, when I show up at my family reunions on my maternal side, there are white people there on my maternal side, not not so much on the paternal. But I do see, mm-hmm. even within that, a period of separation. Mm-hmm. And how, and I have heard those stories, and maybe you can further elaborate, of how that was trying to integrate mm-hmm. um, this person of color mm-hmm. into... Um, your family, mm-hmm. and I think my aunt said this was like in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, and how tough that was and how you can be labeled or this other person, the in-law, as an outcast. Like you're, mm-hmm. no, you know, we're, we're good people and we're good Christian folks and all, but don't you dare bring these black people in our house talking mm-hmm. about you're going to marry and procreate with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that in itself <laughs> is a story, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a contradiction mm-hmm. of, 
of, mm-hmm. of, of, of what's yeah of what's presented and that's some that's a whole nother story mm-hmm. that's how a lot of people get pushed away from religion because yes. it's, it's a clear contradiction of what you say your word is mm-hmm. right but that's the lesson that's that the is. lesson that you learn you know mm-hmm. is if you do go against this there's consequences you don't have to you right. can believe what you want but right. we're going to shun you but don't do it but don't do it yeah <laughs> you know don't do it. I actually had uh Someone when I was back back a long time ago when I was waiting tables, I had I was in the good old state of Indiana and I don't know um, if anybody's familiar, but just because we're up north doesn't mean we're exempt from racism. So we used to be called Clan Indiana. There's places that you don't even stop still to this day. There's places that just that they're known sundown towns in Indiana. And we still don't go there. I thought those places oh, baby, no, baby. existed in Georgia and in the South. Oh, baby, no. They all, you, we don't get off the highway in Indiana. You know, I'm going to tell you. I, I'm going to tell you all this story because, you know, stories are powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and then I'm going to let Catherine go into hers. Um, you know, but talking about those sundown towns, I uh, Forsyth County. Oh, yes. When I was working in um, IT, and this is, in, you know, this is a, an experience I've had since I've been here 20 years, working in, 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 um, in, um, in uh, corporate uh, our, our director had this big party at their house, and they lived in Forsyth County, of course, the vice president mm-hmm. of, the, of the agency. Um, so we're having this party all day, and, you know, of course, all everybody comes, you know, because it's kind of, you, you need to be there. Uh, and so the black employees all know we going to get our tails out of there by sundown. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, right? And uh, so my VP and his wife, they come up to me and they're talking to me because they inter- about interactions with my son. They were just, he's just so smart. He's so bright. And what does he like to do? Because my son has always been a very fascinating kid. He's been into mm-hmm. everything. Um, so he's talk- he, they're talking to me. And so I'm trying to get out. And they don't understand that. How do I tell these people I need to leave before sundown right. so I don't get, you know, jacked up by the cops? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. And, and then my son... I look up and my son is running behind them, right? They're talking to me. They're facing me. And my son is running behind them with the soccer goal on his head, playing with the other kids. And I'm like, oh, my God, I could, I just couldn't get out of there quick enough. <laughs> but lo and behold, when I left, it was dark. Mm. And when it started to get dark, we're riding down the car, uh, riding down the way. And uh, sure enough, this white female officer pulls me over and tells me that my tail light is out and that I was swerving, driving erratically. And I'm like, God, bring it. You know, this here it is right here. Mm-hmm. So I told you to go. And I, and I was instantly angry because I just did not get out of Forsyth County in time. In time. In time. To avoid that mess. And do you know what got me out of that situation? My son sat there. That was the beginning of the next level of my anger because he was just a child. He was about nine years old. And he sat there and saying, Is she going to take you away? Mm. And I was furious, the rage that built up in me. And as I was sitting there with that rage building up in me, my director, my boss, happened to pull up behind us. She is a white South African woman. She pulls up and asks the officer, is everything okay? <laughs> and her South African accent. Because <laughs> okay. she's very heavy. She's uh-huh. been here for years, for almost 25, 30 years, but she still is very heavy. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden... There's no problem at all. And the officer lets me go. There's mm-hmm. no problem. Because now mm-hmm. you, she's white understanding. Privilege, white privilege stepped in and, and mm-hmm. validated you with a, what was likely a, a racially motivated yeah. traffic stop. And she absolutely identified, recognized that because she was riding behind me 
the entire time. She saw it. And she saw it. She saw it. She is South African. (laughs) One of the reasons why she left South, you know, she left as Mm -hmm. a result of, because she's just, it it didn't resonate with her, you know, the experience. And she's just like, I I should, you know, move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so she, mm. she felt like she knew it. And so this is what I mean. This is the difference between an ally and an accomplice. That's mm-hmm. an accomplice. Oh, yes. A person that's a willing to take an action. Yes, mm-hmm. a co-conspirator, mm-hmm. of which Catherine Knight is. So <laughs> As a co-conspirator. As a co-conspirator. She's one of my favorite co-conspirators. <laughs> well, and I think it's important. Okay, so, so all these stories are, are so personal, and I think that's what I have experienced in the past few years um, is a, um, I feel a somewhat forcible ejection <laughs> from my culture that I grew up in, um, socially, even within the legal system. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I've retired from law in part because part of my psychological brain state shifting has been to focus on character and morality and justice that's real justice so the justice system became tainted as I just couldn't get another woman you know out of domestic violence because the the whole justice system often has so many biases and prejudices and racism is that in action right race that's what I was learning this is that it's so systemic it is the water we swim in and I became more and more I became more and more agoraphobic. I still suffer from that. Like that coming here today is because I feel now with like a turtle with no shell. My shell was white supremacy, I think. Um, I Not to say that I don't still have all sorts of vestiges because it's like growing up in a cult. And I never grew up in a cult other than to say this has been my experience. But when I hear people talk about leaving, whether it be Scientology or what have you, and because religion is so steeped in it, this is, it's been used to justify, because I am a Christian, but I you know, grew up with people who were like snake handlers on mountains, practically <laughs> Baptists right, and right. alcoholics, both right. of whom were the same people, right? That's right. the same people, you know. And so my white Mississippi Delta, you know, Alabama Hills kind of history genetically is so steeped in white privilege you can't unentwine it um and so my mother recently told me about this family land that I grew up identifying with every summer going there and playing basically gone with the wind right and my as I've told Ty we've talked we've bonded over genealogy and the exploration and coming to realize that it was my relatives who waited till the trail of tears was done, mm-hmm. right? Waiting, like celebrating their own little made up Thanksgivings, waited till the trail of tears was done and then moved into their plantations and o- owned slaves mm-hmm. and relatives of mine in this generation are still proudly displaying on Mississippi Walls ownership documents. <gasps> oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Where we had family reunions. Yeah. In the last decade, right? So I'm just telling you when I say I, I mean I grew up. I did live in New York for a while, and I did. I, I, I went to Princeton, and then I mm-hmm. went back, and so I've had <clears throat> education 
to look at things differently. But even there, I was very much a white, you know, I'm 51 now, back in the day, I was very much a white feminist, a white progressive. And, you know, those, we can be the worst kind, right? Because I was so unconscious to racism until I had my psychotic breaks. I um, I know that's strange, but it really tore me up that, like, everything was a lie, uh right? Everything was a lie. Jesus Mm -hmm. didn't just minister to little white children who grew up in the 1950s. On the beach. On the beach, no less. Blondes. That wasn't special. No. I'm just, and then I've been. And not in Egypt. And it wasn't even true. And not even where you went right there. Nothing nothing made sense. It's like when you find out Santa isn't quite Santa. Right. Santa isn't real. (laughs) That was an adult. Right, right. And you grow up being told that race really, well, first of all, you know, and then you had the post, we're all post-racial. Right. Mm-hmm. right, if we're progressive during the Barack Obama mm-hmm. delusion, really, mm-hmm. delusion mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. racism didn't exist anymore because it not only exists, apparently it's thriving. Yes. It's setting our national agenda. Yeah. So we don't have any time to ignore this I'm glad anymore. to hear you say that, including the, the piece about progressive white women are, are white feminist. Yes. Because that's not being said. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I haven't said that, but I've heard, and I'm going to speak for my husband on this one as mm-hmm. a black male, mm-hmm. we've had dialogue about some of these very same conversation mm-hmm. and him, he himself as a black male um, and a few other ones agree with what you just said mm-hmm. um, about that feeling where that could be the heaviest the hardest uh, the to hardest turn. To well, turn. We know that from elections, right? White women, right now, and I'm just trying, but one thing, this is where my white frailty comes in, okay? okay? <clears throat> and I'm not going to cry, but I mean, <laughs> it's hard to have any friends left. This is where, because like we're talking about the meaningfulness of new friendships for me. Yeah. They have an extra weight. And as I said, when I called Ty on the way over here, I said, okay, you know, as a person, can I be white and frail for a minute? Because I'm about to cry, right? Okay. Because as a friend, right? Right. Because we've become friends. That's the thing about it is, is that we are all, this was a lie. This was a, a total lie. But my, and my, the white people, we've had a good run of it, right? We tried. It has really <laughs> been all about lying and colonialism, domination, power. And white women are like Stockholm syndrome. I'm not trying to excuse us, but there is a Stockholm syndrome that goes on because We were told we were, this is where feminism does matter Mm -hmm. because we did experience we are not full people. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it made sense that black people weren't full people either because we were living in a hierarchy where we weren't real people and they weren't either. And these were maybe more or less or something. And they talked about people in terms of their, you know, the percentage of blood in them. Mm -hmm. Right. It's all a big Bad science. Yeah, none of it works unless you believe it. It's all a big eugenics, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Basically, where's psychology? Because psychiatry and Mm -hmm. mental health. Because you know the the psychosis in the in the civil rights movement, they were throwing black men who who were having you know protest psychosis. This is back before the DSM. Go and tell pro. 
COINTELPRO mm-hmm. used, uh, they, Huey, COINTELPRO is. is the program that took oh. down the the, pla- the Panther Party. Okay. They infiltrate, infiltrate, they did a lot of insidious things. It's a secret thing in the black community. We all know yeah, about it, right. but people government. outside of us don't. They think oh, it's, right. they said it was a conspiracy. It, yeah, yeah, no, it actually, there's absolutely. been a whole special on that. Actually, I've seen it, but you're absolutely right, Ty. It's yes. the counterintelligence, yes. it was the FBI. COINTELPRO is right. short Co-intel for counterintelligence program. Uh-huh. Right. I think we might. And part of that was psychological warfare. Mm. That was the core of it. That was the core. And they were able to convince people that the revolutionaries, and I'm using finger quotes, I know you all can't see me, but (laughs) revolutionaries were attacking the American government. So that was able to get the American people against this group. And and part of that was... Sounds familiar. uh, Part of that was also to forcibly like instill a sense of paranoia. Mm -hmm. People don't recognize the Panthers had to leave, lots of Panthers had to leave their families. Mm -hmm. They had to move into areas where, you know, like these, uh, you know... Like witness protection programs. And they were living in poverty. Even Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. members... Mm -hmm. Okay, so and this is why I wasn't joking. I took off my cat ears. I shouldn't have. But the, because <laughs> this is where it gets ears. really serious. Because, and I don't know enough about this, but Black Lives Matter member, family members mm-hmm. and are, are disappearing. Like yes. founders and their family members. I just read members. an article about that. Right. And, and in, in, in like a statistically weird rate, right? Like where you'd be like, why are these people disappearing? And I... I just, you know, and there's a silence about it. Like, why is that not being like being spoken about? Right. And there's such a history in our country about dividing, making race be the lightning rod. When it, we, our country is so diverse now. You don't know what anyone's background is by looking at them. In reality, you cannot. Science says, honestly, it, like she said before, race this is nothing but yeah. a device. Right. So, so white thing. doesn't exist, black doesn't mm-hmm. exist, Asian, none of that exists. What exists is that ra- as race is Homo sapiens, right. you know, the Neanderthals have pretty much died off. There were, mm-hmm. you know, Homo nebula, Homos, Homo sapien, Homo, and, and so on and so forth. So, what the race left on the planet is the human race. Right. It's Homo sapien, mm-hmm. and science even acknowledges now mm-hmm. that right. all of us did come from Africa, mm-hmm. right? That Af- the original man mm-hmm. was an African man. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know that's just the name of the continent, right? But that's where life originated. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, you can have black people. That's why they use Henrietta Lacks uh, cells mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. cancer treatment right. because we can produce every shade of color. But Africans weren't just this; mm-hmm. we were all ranges. Mm-hmm. So it is a device, and but- I think we're going to need to. To learn how to change the language because mm-hmm. I think what's happening now is that we are it's to the point where I watched the Trevor Noah episode uh, the white one? ladies where one white lady was insulting another, another white lady by calling her a white lady it's bizarre to me <laughs> well it is there's so because because we don't want to go too it. close as this book was teaching me about color blindness because that's oh, a no. whole nother thing because even though we are the melting pot the history here of white people versus people with well, African Americans. Okay, the, the the history of slavery here, mm-hmm. and then the history of immigration. So both, and the well, and the Native Americans before right. that. So it's just been one round of domination after another. But okay, and I can go really macro and say, this is you know capitalism eating us up. We're classic, like you know, in the olden days. It would take poor whites. Racism was the whole point was to make sure they mm-hmm. didn't band with. The other have-nots, which at the time, because people of color were coming out of terribly systemic disadvantage, right? So they're coming out, and they're they're the have-nots, and they're not supposed to see commonality. Segregation led to 
an ability to have the richest people, and they're mostly white men. Right. Like, I mean, there are very few women anywhere right. on that whole thing, unless they inherited it. So at the top, the white men. And see, and, and here's where, this is where I get kind of like, because I have sat in very elite circles. Mm-hmm. Um, in my day, like I may be psychiatrically disabled now, but in my day, I was pretty sharp. And I was able to sit with in Wall, like I worked on Wall Street uh-huh. Bank. Just so um, you know, they lawyer. are too. I'm sorry. What? I, I have to come out and say yeah. that. Because you label yourself as psychiatrically disabled. But know that to some degree, right. you don't come through life unscathed or untouched. So you were not the yes. only one then or now sitting Thank in that. Thank you. Yeah, in, in that arena. That's, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Because I think, anyway, so I sat there mm-hmm. and I saw white power in action. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an action. It's decisions with by collectively s- s- groups of just white men generally, right? What right. women get in there, but I can assure you we're often shut up, right? Oh, yes. Right. So, I've been there. Yeah. yeah. It's I've been very there. hard. You don't yes. have a voice in those spaces. No. You're just here. Right. You're here to be so seen. This is yeah, where I think it. women, like we need to fast, white women need to fast get over these blinders, which is what it is, and not see unity in finding ways to build bridges into diversity and to acknowledge our past. Like, that's where racism, well, that's the uncomfortable conversation. Right? But I'm going to ask you, you as, decided, as, they've, they've, they have decided on what level of misery they're going to live in, and they get the relief. I, I was going to say, I'm going to play devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. You know, as a white woman, mm-hmm. say, say if I was a white woman, mm-hmm. what would be my motivation to support and vote for anything with the, for, for this black woman. Mm-hmm. Here, here's what, there were a I'll number of white women that voted for this current governor, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I speak to other white women about why they voted for him, even this president, all of his benefits, mm-hmm. okay, and what the, benefited them. Yes. They don't deal with, I have a, a friend, a colleague, Mm-hmm. who has, she's white and she has white males. Mm-hmm. She don't have the same insecurities, the same worries that I do for, you know, for my Economically. Sons, economically and, and, and just for and, our and children's safety. lives. Right. right. Police that interaction she does. and all so, that. So yeah. Stacey Abrams was not going to benefit anything to her, but this this other white governor, white male governor, it was that commonality, that mirroring mm-hmm. that you talk about. So mm-hmm. as a white woman, why would I vote for somebody who who's, yes. Okay, <laughs> she's because... Waving her hand, you all couldn't see. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good student. I'm learning. Okay, I'm a beginner. I'm not an expert. But what I would say to that is, our humanity depends on it. We cannot be a society of hate. You know, there's a meme out there that says, okay, so you know, of course, we all know statistically, very shortly, whites are going to be in the minority. And there's a meme out there that says, so what? What is there a problem? Do y'all treat your minorities badly over there? Why would it matter? Because we're hilarious. all equal, right? It's hilarious <laughs> because we're not, and that's right. you know fear, we're that's not. Fear. And you're coming we from know. your yeah. system benefits on everyone. Not if there was equality, you yes. would have no effective system. Yes, right. So I guess what I'm trying trying to say is that you okay but I've been told this people think their humanity is just starting home only start it's it's that nationalist mentality Mm -hmm. as us first like you know needs to protect like there is that and how do you bridge that 
I don't know. That's why I have I no have, friends. I have a question. <laughs> because I don't know. There is well, a cold mentality. That this is a this is not just a melting pot, right? It's not, but this is a salad. It's like a fruit salad, and that's right. the 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 meme yeah. that we have to come with mm -hmm. is that we're all in this together. And I think you yeah. said that how earlier. How are we going to? How are we going to? Yeah. How are we going to find progress in our society? Where because this is where my story, I think, because I. There is no safety net. That's the big mm -hmm. joke. Okay? There's none. Zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you become a have-not, any time in your life, which is going to happen more and more, like we're all none At of some us point are doing time well, it is. right? Yeah. Because yeah. of the breakdown of economics, we're all poor now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all got student loan. We all got. There's this. The, only this many people, and I'm you know making the an inch sign are rich, and so at some point we're going to have to realize that it could be you any minute. Those white women are living with a lot of debt and fragility that they're, they, look, they're hanging on it's by their It's just a matter pinkies. of time before it circles around it, into it, the it, white culture. To their, it is in a way. Yeah. Not that you yeah. have to wait. It's like teenage it's, pregnancy. It's like cocaine. It's like crack. It's just a matter of time before it circles back around. Because there'll be the next economic crash. You can't build a society on That's a right. with no caring for That's your right. weak. G and, and this is where the religious comes back to me. Okay. Because <clears throat> when I was out there helping mentally ill folks in mm -hmm. rural Georgia, mm -hmm. I met a man who was identified as schizophrenic. And he told me that I could say anything I wanted as long as it was true, as long as, you know, it sort mm -hmm. of felt like God was trying to work through me. Because I had a huge army of angels that were my relatives doing karma. Okay, having their car, they're like on horses, all on horseback, and they are doing their karma is to be my guardian angel because they all are from the 1860s. Like all my slave owning relatives and all the folks who did all bad stuff, you know, just came back from the Montgomery Museum with lynching and such, right? Those relatives are mine are having to protect me as I call them out. Does that make sense? It does, because okay. I do. Does that it, sound crazy? Well, I am a bit crazy. Well, you know, I said, because well. I am a little bit, I'm a bit too. I'm a bit too. But, you know, we're going to have to wrap this conversation okay. up okay. because we are coming to part two next week. And we are, we are, I'm going to ask you all to do three things, okay? Because I knew this was, but we had to do this in two parts because this is such a powerful conversation. I'm going to ask you to, number one, comment your thoughts on this thread. Comment your thoughts on the conversation that we're having. We're going to have part two next week. Follow us on social media at OfficialDFD. You can join our community at OfficialDFD.com and join our conversation next week. I'll be so happy to see you. Tune in, three o'clock. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. at officialdfd.com. Follow us on social media at officialdfd. Your dynamic, your dialogue. Come get some.